Hello and welcome. This is Friend Request Summer Series. Thank you so much for joining me. You know, in interviewing people, I found a lot of people that kind of run their own business. Uh, you know, you think of people like Leslie Bailey, who was on here, Lauren Carroll, Leah Carroll, uh, Elizabeth Clayton, so many people that I've had on here that run their own business. And I was wondering, like, what is that process? How do you get to that point? You know, you hear these stories of, oh, I was slumming and living on the streets and eating pizza out of the garbage can. And now I own New York. And you're like, wait, what? That's, that's crazy. What, how'd you do that? Um, and you don't really hear that in between, right? You hear A and Z, but you don't get the rest of the story. And that's where I wanted to dive in with people and find out, you know, like when did they realize that they had a marketable skill or talent? And what did that transition look like? You know, like what were your support systems between, uh, leaving your day job and, and starting this business and, you know, actually making a paycheck and then what kind of advice do they have? So this is great. I've learned so much and I'm, I'm very excited to pass this on to you guys. And these people are phenomenal. You're going to hear some familiar voices throughout the summer, uh, that you might recognize from some other episodes, but you're also going to hear some really new, unique, amazing voices and, and, and the things that they're doing. So I'm so excited to bring this to you. I hope you enjoyed the episode. My name is Joy Andrioli. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist. I'm also a transactional analysis practitioner and also a communication educator, a want communication educator. And I'm also a writer and an author of the book, the Recovery Cycle and Transformation, How to Fall in Love with Your Sober Life, A Practical Guide. There's a lot of things there. Lots of things there. <laughs> um, well, I, I'd like to start, you know, I, I saw you look up a second when you were saying all your letters, because it, it's so funny. I, I screw that up all the time. I have a... Uh, an LCMFT on my show uh, regularly, and I, I swear we had probably ten episodes before I got those damn letters in the right order and <laughs> the right words there. Um, I, I kind of want to start there. Just what what brought you to that field of um, therapy in general, and uh, was that inspired by uh, your recovery path or anything like that? What what brought you there, and then at what point were you like, I have this skill, whether that, you know, listening and helping people, um, what, where did you notice you had that and realize that, oh, this could be a career and that's what, you know, therapy is. <laughs> no, career. Um, I, I knew when I was five that my family was so screwed up that I, I knew that I knew better. And so I kept that thought very much alive in me until until basically I got sober until I was 20. And then, um, you know, somebody in my early years said to me, okay, so transactional analysis practitioner, what that is, is if you're familiar with transactional analysis, is there's, uh, uh, Freud has the id, the ego, and the superego. So Eric Byrne made up a sort of this pop psychology uh, at the time in the 70s, excuse me, 70s, uh, you know, I'm okay, you're okay. So he came oh, up yeah. with transactional analysis. So where is, is the id, the ego, and the superego are, are more, more internal processes. Eric Byrne, with transactional analysis, came up with the parent, the adult, and the child. 
So at that time in the 70s, when I was a teenager, um, there was a person that made a lot of fun of Eric Byrne and this whole movement of the parent adult child. And I said, that sounds like something I want to do. And this person in my life laughed at it, scoffed at it. Oh, you know, pop psychology, ha, ha, ha. And I, he had such a profound effect on me that I did not do or end up in this field until many years later after lots of therapy. And, you know, I mean, I've done every kind of therapy you can imagine. And, um, and it's all, all been beneficial. So, so to answer your question, I learned early on, I had a history of not doing it. I worked in the film industry. And then in my forties, I decided, Hey, I'm going to go back and back to school get a master's and do this thing. Because another mentor of mine, is my answer too long? No. <laughs> okay. A mentor of mine who I, I'm so grateful for till this day, her name is Dr. Pat Allen. She's written a number of books. Um, she she had such a profound effect on me. It was maybe after, I don't know how long I had made. No, it was probably about 10 years after being with her and, and, and under her guidance and mentorship, I decided, hey, I could do this too. Nice. I could do this too because it's had such a profound effect on me. And I think a lot of people that come into the field have that experience because yeah. let's face it, we're all, I mean, I felt pretty broken. And I know a lot of the students when I got when I got to therapy anyway. Um, not that I was broke, you know. I, I my soul was was still there, but um, I, I had it, it wasn't like I, it, my soul was sick. I was just disconnected from it. So therapy really helped me connect back to that. And so, ten years in, I thought, you know what? Maybe I'll do this too. At the very least, at the very least, I could. Um, learn more about myself which is you know my favorite thing to do amen i think we're we're cut from the same cloth in that way and i've I, i've i have a hypnotherapy session today i've done emdr i've been doing talk therapy you know for years and uh yeah i, I love all the different stuff and i think it's eye-opening the more the more different things you try not all of them are going to be for me but i think it's a it gives me a leg up at least to to experience them on a firsthand basis. Uh, so that, that's, that's cool. And that's, that's funny. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm pushing 40 and I won't even start my master's program until I'm 40. So it's uh yeah, I relate. <laughs> you're, young. you're young. You've got so much ahead of you. Oh and, you yeah. Know, you no, mean, I'm not worried about well, it. I just think it's funny. I'm just going to say, yeah, and I'm, I'm not saying you were, but you know, I was thinking of when you said hypnotherapy, when I, I'll just say really quickly, when I did a hypnotherapy session, somebody had said, Oh, past lives are interesting. I thought, Oh, that sounds interesting. I had something more to learn about. And I went to this person and I, I have to tell you, it was such a um, scary experience for me not to, Everybody has a different experience, but she, she brought me under and literally at number three, she counted down number three. I went into such a, a state. I can't even describe like a trance. It. <laughs> it, it was, it was, my body was shaking. Oh, I couldn't, I couldn't come out of it. I didn't want to, I was too afraid to, I was too afraid. It was almost like the fight, flight, freeze response. Have all of it was happening to me at once, and I was stuck there. And she spent the hour like going, "It's okay," patting my shoulder. It's okay. You're going to be okay. So you know, 
that what's in our in our deep in the recesses of our mind is so uh is so powerful you yeah. know our memories and all that that um you know i anyway I, I i i love all of that and i love talking about it so that's awesome yeah that's that's good then you're in the right place all right, you know that I am a fierce advocate for therapy. All right, let's face it, this whole show does not exist without the leaps and bounds that I've been able to make in therapy. And that's why I am so proud to have BetterHelp sponsor this show. Ask yourself this question. Is there something interfering with your happiness? Or is, is preventing you from achieving your goals? You know, I've spent time in therapy learning to rein in my need for external validation, and it's a big need. Uh, but BetterHelp will assess your needs match you with your own licensed professional therapist, maybe even me one day. Uh, and there is a broad range of expertise in BetterHelp's like 15,000 plus counselor network. That's a lot of counselors, which may not be locally available in many areas. You know, they did a whole report on this and it's available for clients worldwide. So when you sign up, you can start communicating within 48 hours. And then if you're like me, you know, are you getting those random light bulb moments? Like I do, you're laying in bed and you're like, oh, uh, well, with BetterHelp, you can log into your account anytime and send a message to your counselor. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule your weekly video or phone sessions so you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room with traditional therapy. And guys, I know that waiting room awkwardness. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches so they can make it easy and free to change counselors if needed. No more awkward therapist breakups if you and your counselor aren't a match. It's more affordable than traditional offline counseling, and financial aid is available. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It's professional counseling done securely online. BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. Visit BetterHelp.com slash friendrequest. That's BetterHelp. And join over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. Special offer for my friends out there, my friend request listeners, if you will. You get 10% off your first month of counseling when you visit betterhelp.com slash friend request. That's betterhelp.com slash friend request. Thank you for supporting our sponsors. Um, what about if we shift that a little to being a writer? Um, where did you get the inspiration there that you had something to share that could be beneficial to other people? Okay, I was in a uh, graduate class on a on um, chemical dependency, and what the, the teacher did was he was talking about the addiction cycle, which is Patrick Carnes lays it out in his book Out of the Shadows. If you're familiar with that, it's a book on sexual addiction. Okay. And um, great book. And what he talks about, I mean, I I just have it up here, but. Um, you know, it's in four stages. There's preoccupation, you're thinking about it, you're thinking about the drink, let's say, or think, anyway, there's a cycle. This will all wind up to answer your question, I promise. <laughs> you're good. Preoccupation can't help if you, if you have the addiction affliction, at least in my view, and, and for me, by the way, I include myself here, can't help but getting into the rituals of how am I now going to procure either that sex or that drink or whatever it is you like, or Gabor, Gabor Monte, he liked CDs, you know, that was his addiction. He liked classical music. So he would go on the hunt for these CDs. Great book, by the way, by him. Um, when the body says no, it's a great book. But anyway, so we've got preoccupation, we have rituals. 
And then we slide on down. Once you're into the rituals, the chemical chemical um, reaction in your body really gets into gear here. And it's almost impossible not to use. So the third part of this addiction cycle is the using. And then once after you use, it's sort of all over. You get that. It's not even as good as the, you know, the, yeah. the leading up to it. And then after that, you feel guilt, shame, and despair. You know, and on the outside of that, right? And then on the outside of that, there's these triggers and cravings, which again, you start back with the, oh, it wasn't so bad. Maybe I can have that sex again, or maybe I can have that drink again. You know? yeah. And then we go back into the preoccupation. So it's literally a cycle. Yeah. And, um, and then, <laughs> like I said, he writes it out in that book. So as in this class, as he's describing this on the whiteboard, I am in my mind, literally, I could see this, this, the recovery cycle, which is my, I don't even think it's my creation. I think it's just something that is literally came into my mind's eye. And what it is, is it's the positive mirror image of the addiction cycle. So Yeah. So the recovery cycle now, you know, we have a recovery focus and how any of us gets that. Gosh, I don't know. You know, you have, we've all had our bottom in some way. Mine was, yeah. So there's a bottom, but something flips where we say, God, I've got to get, I've got to get sober. I've got to not gamble. I've got whatever their thing is. Um, so how I became a writer was I came up with the, the recovery focus at the top that came into my mind's eye. Then we go into recovery rituals. Like I couldn't, I knew that I could not stay sober on my own. I, I mean, that was not, I had tried many times, yeah. but I needed other people, like-minded people that were pretty much enthused about sobriety as I was and young. I was very young. I was before I turned 21, I got sober. So, so Again, to recap, the recovery focus kind of led me into doing all of these rituals. I went to the rehab. And then instead of using the ritual, send me in the contrary action. I don't use, I don't drink, I don't pick up. But then it's like there's all these other things that I've had to learn how to, hey, calling you to say, hey, can I talk to you on your show? That was a contrary action for me. I'm I'm pretty scared to, to reach out to people still, yeah. you know? Oh, yeah. But I do... And I show up, I put my foot out there, I put, and I, and I feel good most of the time after doing it, but not always. So anyway, this is such a long answer. So <laughs> You're the good. contrary action, and now, right, instead of guilt, shame, and despair, I've got a range of feelings kind of in my palate. Like now I know I can feel uncomfortable and tolerate it. I can manage it. I can feel pretty good about what I'm doing, talking to you here right now. Um, so anyway, this recovery cycle, so now I have a range of feelings and I think, wow, I only get that range of feelings by being sober. I only get that range of feelings by knowing I've got, you know, people that are like-minded behind me that are doing the same thing, that yeah. like their life, that like it without drinking, which is not the focus for me anymore. Um, so it brings me back to having a recovery focus, which is I get to have a good life. What does that mean to me? So when you ask me, how, what did how did my journey of becoming a writer was the, uh, the teacher in this class, I, I said, Hey, look at this, what I just wrote down. It just came to me. And he said to me, that doesn't make sense. And I thought it makes perfect sense to me. So I guess I need to write it. And so it took me 10 years to write it because I have other things that I'm doing in my life. I've yeah. got a pre life. So I never thought that I could write except in, 
Gosh, I, I just feel like I'm going on and on. But when I was told when I went to school early on, I wrote a paper and the woman said to me, the teacher said to me, I wrote it about, doesn't matter what I wrote it about. But she said to me, Joy, you really, it really needs some work. This, I don't know if this is for you. So I put that dream away. I put my psychology dream away that I thought I could be a good person to help to, to assist people in this journey in their life. I put that dream away and I put the writing dream away until later in the second half of my life. And, um, and, but late is great. And I'm glad that I did in, in some ways because I got to learn so many things along the way. I've got to practice everything, everything that I teach. I do. Yeah. I have to commend you on the fact that you had a, a, you know, your instructor was like, this doesn't make sense. And you're like, yes, it does. And then you just, you know, turned it into what is going to be a book now. <laughs> um, and that's, I mean, most people, when they get that sort of rejection, I feel like then that that's just shut down, right? Like they, they let go of that. And it's kind of the same rejection you're talking about with the writing when you were younger and, and, and the, uh, the desire to help people then. And, it's crazy how sensitive we can be to that. And if we just kind of get past that, that criticism, you can turn something into something really amazing. So, uh, and no, stop apologizing for explaining yourself. That's the whole point of the show. You're good. <laughs> okay. And, and you know what? I will, I will do that. And and the other thing I want to add on to that, because I know you're in the helping profession also, or you're, you're embarking on that. Um, hey, you're helping me today. Um <laughs> By, by just asking me these questions. But, you know, I, I actually wrote this little part in my book about guides and how important guides I, guides have been in my life. And and the ones that, are, that have been the most, I, I believe the most valuable guide is the one that has no real investment in my choices and my decision-making capability. And, um, you know, early on in sobriety, I needed to be told what to do because I was – I'm not going to say I would go as far as saying I was feral, but I would, but, but I certainly, you know, I needed some proper, uh, parental guidance and, uh, and somebody, somebody kind of latched on to me and she's, I still know her today. It's almost 40 years later. She's still a very dear friend and somebody who really has helped me and has been a mentor also. So, um, she's, she's in the beginning, she kind of told me what to do, but you know, I think the thing about guides is, non-judgmental for sure you know like yeah. non-judgmental uh ask the right questions but is not going to tell me what to do because then that robs me of my adult self being able to learn yeah. for myself it's the only way we learn i never thought about that in like in that way uh, it's funny because i was just <laughs> i just uh i broke up with my therapist um <laughs> we were kind of recapping our time together and I was like, yeah, I, I wish, uh, sometimes I wish you would have like called me out more and told me what to do more. And when I think about you explaining that just now, I'm like, oh yeah, I got in that way. I don't think that would have been helpful because I would have been, uh, resistant to it first of all. And yeah, I guess that's not growth if you're just following direction and not, um, you know, overcoming that on your own. Am I, am I reading that right? Yeah. And there have been times like I, I start, I kind of didn't know. For certain things on what to do and and like i like the idea of options like well let's look at all the options you know 
because the nurturing parent, I mean, kind of getting back to the, the uh, transactional analysis, you know, there's, there's the critical parent. It's like, do it my way and then I'll love you. You know, there's the guiltifying or the, the, the super parent is does everything for you and, and uh, you know, robs you of your own experience and doing it yourself. And then the nurturing parent, which is like, hey, you get to be you. Yeah. And I'm all for you being used. And there's a price and a prize for every thing you decide to do. Let's look at what, let's look at the highest possible price that you're willing to pay for anything. If you want to get married, what's the highest possible price? If you think you make a mistake, you know, wh whatever, like the prices and prizes and that, that is like the orientation that I hope that I can be for people. And um, that's been given to me. And I love that. Let me ask, um, Jumping back to the, the LMFT, like why, why marriage and family? Um, as opposed to, um, I, I don't know. I, I, I guess I, I don't think of, I don't know. I guess I, I don't have a, a, as opposed to question <laughs> when I think of marriage and family, I guess I think more along the lines of like couples counseling and, um, parents and kids and, instead of uh, just, you know, individuals like, you know, 20 to 50 year old individuals. But I guess, I guess, right. yeah, I guess that's not the same umbrella or what, what you, t well, you tell I me. Think, <laughs> well, I'll tell you, I'll, I will tell you, I think that people think when they, when you say I'm a marriage and family therapist, they think, oh, we're going to be like, it's going to be a group of people. Now I'm, I'm kind of figuring out what this group of this group dynamic is. And Basically, it's the term you, it's the name of the thing you, it's the name of the license you get, licensed yeah. marriage and family therapist, to do individual counseling, to do couples counseling, and to do family counseling. Okay. If you have some, you have, you get some training of that in school. You'll, you'll experience that. You'll get some training of that, yeah. at least in theory, you know, ideally in your, in, in your um, internship, you'll get that too. Yeah, I definitely am coming from a naive point of view with that question. Well, it's just, yeah. So that, and then, and then psychologists would be different because they go, yeah. they, have, they do testing and their, their school is a little bit longer. So they get a PhD at the end of their name. And, and I, I kind of wanted to do that, <laughs> but you know, on, when I looked at my life, I'm going to just say it. The reason back then I wanted to do that was really for my ego. I thought, well, cause I always thought, you know, if I was just smart enough, I was just smart enough. Then, yeah, yeah then I'll be okay, you know. But that's that was I, I recognized that at the time, and um, I am enough, you know. I'm enough at, at doing what I'm doing, and I. I I'm going to shift the question a little bit because I'm curious. I'm I'm going to make some assumptions. I'll tell you what my assumptions are: uh, is that <laughs> you're you're doing the writing and and the the editing, the publishing piece, whatever that looks like in the background while you're doing your regular job. Is that correct in my assumption? Yes. The, the assumption is not quite correct because okay. I see very little clients at this point. And okay. the clients that I do see, um, I, I pretty much require that they do some homework. Okay. And so once that piece is given sometimes they don't come back <laughs> well, i've been like a homework junkie you give me something to do and i'll do it yeah, you know, that's yeah. partially the codependent piece but you know <laughs> well I, I yeah i get that though because i like being held accountable in that way right because then 
there it's a double uh, it's a double-edged sword can a double-edged sword be a good thing um like two good things i just like i like being held accountable in that way where i i have these tasks i have to complete but then there's part of like the validation side of my head where i'm like somebody cares about me enough to give me these tasks and so that's nice too but i know that's not for everybody uh and and interested in your growth you know i mean i i and if you have enough good of good of a transference to your like you did your therapist you must have for seven years you know i want to there's like a good element to that wanting to to not please that person but there's part of there's a little piece of that that i do want to uh yeah. be accountable to the person that i've invested my money in and my yeah. time in um so to answer your question i don't see very many clients i spend i my husband and i we have two homes and with COVID, it's like, you know, I do some stuff on Zoom and... Yeah, let me let, let me ask you the broad version of, of what that question was leading to, which is during all this then, um, where and who and what is your emotional and financial support system? My husband is the primary... Okay, good question. I'm going to answer <laughs> that because I want to add value to this convert, to this... Please to do. No, I do want to add value... <laughs> Um, he is the primary breadwinner. Okay. I have a job. I make I make a little money on the side, and every couple is different. And when my when I met the mentor that I told you about, she said there are three kind three kinds of relationships. One is a convenience where you have two, you know, ten people two two people like with almost equal careers. Right, they're bringing in similar amounts of money yeah. and if they have kids or everything is negotiated, but it's almost equal in terms of finances. And, and so then they have, if they have kids, somebody has got to take care of the kids. So they either hire it out or something like that. So you got that, you got a convenience, you have a codependency when we know what that is. Somebody's a zero and somebody's a 10 and somebody gets all the respect and cherishing and the zero doesn't get anything. She, she or he is just working the ass off to, yeah. to keep the, to, to keep the big 10 happy in some way. And then the third kind is a covenant, which is where there's a primary breadwinner and a primary homework homemaker who brings sensuality to the home and makes helps the home run a little smoothly. So I'm in a covenant and you know when my husband and i first married we decided that's how it was going to be and what i have to tell you is part of the reason why i have not been more full-on gangbusters into my making this thing happen and you know make it like making my work happen as much as i love it is uh we made an agreement and it wouldn't work for our life together as a couple because at this point in time anyway you know I sneak in my work, I get in my work, I do it, and, and he works, and, and he's frankly almost retired, but not really. He'll never retire, he loves to work, and I do too. So I'm always busy writing, like I do, I write, I'm a, I write some articles on medium.com, anybody wants to go check out what I've written there, I have a little blog going on my website. So that's how we roll, and you know, we, uh, we have family, we have, meetings we have i have i have people in my life that are sober that i keep in regular contact with that i'm a sponsor to um so that keeps my life pretty full and my family as well yeah i like i like the those definitions of the three different 
kinds of, of relationships. I'm thinking like where I'm at now and like where I'd like to see that morph into. Because <laughs> my wife is the breadwinner of our house, but it's it's more closer to a convenience than the uh, than anything else. But Well, no, but that's, it's like really important to think about, right? Because yeah. with, with a couple, we got to be on the same team and some, and, and we have butt heads because I've been like, I got to do this thing. And so, but I, you know, I really want to, I, I know we could probably renegotiate it, but do I want to do that? I have to really check <laughs> in with myself and yeah. see what it is that I want first. Because it, it's not like he gets to say or I get to say, you know, we decide together. Yeah, absolutely. I've got to be clear about what I want and what I don't want. And that is like, you know, the the, the beginning of the definition of at least my definition of intimacy. Yeah. You know, what do I want? What do I not want? What do you want? What do you not want? And let's openly negotiate for it. You know, and, and for so long, I knew what I wanted, but I sort of hid it. You know, I, yeah. I hid it because I was I couldn't I couldn't own it. I didn't have enough self-esteem to own it. But but now that's that's changing. So it's changed a bit. So I yeah. can get to own that. That sounds fantastic. Yeah. Something to think about. You're planting seeds in my head. You don't even know it. But <laughs> uh other that's than good. that, I, yeah. I, I appreciate that. No, that was like the some of the most helpful, I think one of the most helpful responses to that question, because uh, you didn't just answer it, you you kind of laid it out, uh, uh, all the options out there, and, and I, I appreciate that. Yeah, I like that a lot, actually. So thinking about anybody that is somewhat in your shoes, uh, maybe they're in a field where they think they have some extra input to give out uh, in the form of a book or, or some other form of media, uh, or even somebody that is just thinking about getting into this field, what, what advice you have for people? Um, and, and I want to broaden that question, given your specialty, given the recovery cycle, um, for people, not only that are wanting to do something else, but also people that are just starting out in, in a recovery of some sort. And I love that you mentioned a number of times, uh, sex addiction. I've talked about that at a lot of the, on the show and, uh, there's so many behavioral addictions that kind of get dismissed, especially when you bring like the DSM and stuff into it. And I think they're they're so they're so real and they're so it's so necessary to to discuss that recovery as well. So for I guess for anyone's I'm sorry this question's nine years long. Uh, for anybody, goes <laughs> back at you. You don't get to say you're sorry either. So oh man, uh, I see. Yeah, but see, I have I'm editing capabilities. You. I'm tracking you every step of the way because I'm 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 already tracking it. So go well, that's ahead. good. So hopefully you understand the question. So. I'm asking you for any advice you might have for anybody in any of those positions, either starting out in recovery, wanting to branch off into something new, or wanting to share some specific thoughts, viewpoints, knowledge they have in their field in some new way, whether that be a book or some other form of media. Okay. First of all, I'll take it in pieces. Yes, please the, do. <laughs> I don't feel like I've written notes there, but uh, uh, new people, people that are uh, anyone. Okay. So, but the first thing I want to kind of track back to is, so new people, what I would say is I would say, um, don't, don't, you know, whatever happens to you, if you're newly sober, if you're struck sober, if you make a decision the the all the, the I, I believe that there's no middle once you have that thing at least for me and a lot of people I know once there we've crossed that invisible line into addiction yeah. 
I knew it early on. I knew it in my early teens. There's just, it just doesn't seem like there's any going back. So my first thought is don't use and don't drink, right? That's the first thing, thing. But get some sort of sober rituals that you, recovery rituals that you like. I don't care what it is, but make sure other sober people are involved in that mix. And do it consistent consistently for some time. Do those rituals so you don't so you don't use because they'll support you in not using, and they'll support you in in um, not going back to your rituals. They'll support you in not uh, maybe getting into an awful relationship. Whatever the thing is, you're going to get support. So you know you're talking about the creative part. I know, like how can yeah. these people, but. For the newly sober people, I would say get a sober foundation. And I think that takes about a year. I mean, I was young and it took me a, it took me a good year to get some something. So because it's almost like the dust doesn't even settle. Don't make any big relationship changes for a year. Yeah. Just 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 good, get sober, you know. Um, that said, a lot of people get sober older and they have a life that's already running, right? So maybe... I still believe in getting rituals and getting something that you do consistently with other sober people and just continuing to not drink and then just learning how to sit with all the feelings that come up with all of the different contrary actions you're going to take in sobriety. Cause we, we are, we do get different, right? Yeah. So does that, that answers the new person. Does yeah. that answer it enough? Yeah. So for <laughs> anybody else that let's say, is is how now they've got their sober legs and and you know i still think it's important at least that's been my experience and and people that i know that have been sober a long time and that are actually enjoying their lives they're not white knuckling it there's no so dryity they're very they're very into their lives and it's with with contact with other sober people so that i believe needs to be maintained so if I'm talking about the recovery cycle, so you have a recovery ritual that's maintained. First of all, with the recovery focus, there's some sort of focus about what you want. Define your recovery and design your life. Yeah. So if I'm defining a recovery that I want for myself. Let's say mine was, mine is like the exact life that I have. I wanted to be married to a sober person someday. I wanted to have a library full of books. I wanted to be able to ride horses. I did that. I want, there were some things that I wanted to do in sobriety. So I had this real focus about what I wanted to do and who, more importantly, who I wanted to be while I was doing it. You know, spiritual principles. I wanted to be a, a kind person, accepting, non-judgmental, honest. I mean, it's, it's, I, I, I just value those kinds of spiritual principles. So I, I had a really good, strong recovery focus. Then I go into my rituals, right? And then, so then the creative part is the contrary action. What am I willing to do? When I, when I went back to school, uh, my, the, the person, I went back in my 20s and she said, you know, get your sober foundation, then you'll be able to go back to school. So I took contrary action because anything that I wanna do, if I have a creative idea, like my creative idea was to call you. Yeah. I thought, hey, I could do that. I could call Justin. I, I don't even know him, but I could call him and take a risk 
And he'll either say yes or he'll say no. And you said yes, and here we are, right? So if I'm willing to, whatever creative idea I have, or it doesn't matter what it is, you know, like, am I willing to take an incremental step towards doing that thing that I say I want to do? So yeah, so then getting, and then, and then with doing any kind of contrary action is going to come a big, some sort of feeling is going to come with it that maybe I haven't experienced before because I was either drunk or I, ha I repressed it in some way or I haven't allowed it. Yeah. So once I'm doing new behaviors, I, my, my range of feelings gets expanded and I feel like closer to my soul as, as, as it goes. So I don't know if I answered it. See, I, I get really, <laughs> and as, and just, just so the people know, or whoever's listening, I'm pointing towards a chart. So Justin has the luxury of looking at this chart. As yeah. I and go I'll, through this. I'll link to, uh, to your website and, uh, your Instagram and everything too. So, I, I mean, it's, I think it's super useful and, and I like, I, I'm excited for the book. When does the book come out? It's forthcoming. I don't know exactly, but it is complete. I'm, I am working on publishers and all of that. Right all now. the fun stuff. <laughs> all the fun stuff. Yeah. I have, I have a friend that went through that process, uh, at the end of last year, beginning of this year. And she was not a happy camper during, during that stage. Cause that's the, that's the fun stuff. And I say that facetiously. Um, but you know something, what I've, what I discovered with it, I can tell you what I learned and I loved learning this. I learned this whole new area of, of the business in, in a sense that I know how to write a proposal and I, and I actually liked that. It was a very creative process. I never really thought that I could do it, Yeah. but um, I got a really good proposal and I, and I was told that I needed to, to start an Instagram and Facebook account and I'm not. And I don't know anything about Instagram or I, I was like avoiding that. Yeah. I'm yeah. like, no, I'm private. And you know something? It's been really a lot of fun because I get to, that's like a creative outlet. Now that was a contrary action for me was doing the Instagram, putting doing out social media. Yeah. Social. Yes. So anyway. Uh, oh yeah. No, I, 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 it's a struggling or the struggle I have with this podcast is I try to, or I tried to, I'm, sinking back into it like a swamp um get away from social media and uh cut it down to like one day a week and stuff like that but i i let you you have to do stuff for if you're doing something you have to post stuff and promote it and it's 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 annoying um but such is life uh <laughs> i will go off on that and, for a and long time. though what i what i try to do is make it like the content part i think yeah. somebody was talking about this i i really do my best to connect with the content part and just ignore the rest. And that that has been good to be, just connect with that because I believe what I'm putting out there and, um, you know, and just do my best to ignore the rest of it all. And speaking of that, um, what is where can people find you on Instagram? What is your handle, so to speak? <laughs> my handle is Joy Andrioli, J-O-I with an I and Andrioli, A-N-D-R-E-O-L-I. My website yes. is communicatewithjoyjoi.com. Perfect. You took the words right out of my mouth because I was going to say, and what's the website? Uh, perfect. Well, well, Joy, I really appreciate this. And, and given little nuggets that you've revealed along the way, I'm super excited for what I will call part two when I can find out more about you as a person. Absolutely. Talking. I'm more than happy. I, I would love to do, uh, I would love to talk about so many things. I have a 
sneaking suspicion that we might have a lot in common in, in, in some ways. So I'm excited okay. about that. Um, awesome. Well, thank you. Okay. Thank you so much okay. for doing this. Thank you. Thank you for saying yes. And I'm happy to do it again.